It's good to be with you guys this morning. I was, we're continuing this, this uh, week and we're continuing in this series, uh, Grace Amplified, and this morning talking a lot about faith. And in my uh, study this week, I was reading a little bit about a uh, famous tightrope walker from back in, eight, in the 1850s. I thought it was interesting. I was reading some details. His name is Charles Blondin. You can see a picture of him on the screen there. I didn't know they had playing cards for tightrope walkers, but pretty sweet. Uh, and what he did is he was known for was going across uh, the Niagara Falls, 1,100-foot tightrope going back and forth across, all the way back in the 1850s where there wasn't a whole lot of necessarily science to that. Uh, but that's what he was famous for. And I was reading some of the details of the feats that he had pulled off that he did at one time completely blindfolded, which I can't imagine that. He did it in a, in a potato sack going across the Niagara Falls. Another time, he did it pushing a wheelbarrow. You've seen that before. How about this one? He did it on stilts going across the Niagara Falls. He did it uh, on one of his trips across. He stopped at the halfway point and cooked an omelet and ate it and on his trip across Niagara Falls. Like, how crazy is this? Now, I, was, I was reading one of his other times across, he brought a chair with him, and he set the chair in the center of the, uh, on the, center of the trip across, set it on, balanced it on one leg, and stood on the chair. Like, how crazy this guy uh, was back. And the piece that I thought was the most crazy, even after seeing all of that, was not what he had accomplished, was what his, pro, his promoting manager decided to do was to go across, and you can see it in this picture now, to go across on his back. Can you imagine? Like, talk about going above and beyond the job description, right? Like, hopping on this guy's back to walk this 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls, but that would not go well if you fell. And, uh, and so doing that with no harnesses, no, uh, no plan B, just putting your full trust in. I was thinking about that in relationship to our topic of faith and uh, our discussion here this morning. And really, the, the, the object that I was thinking, I was like, can you imagine if at the halfway point, that manager who had put his full trust in this tightrope walker decided to say, you know what, I'm going to get off your back and I'm just going to do the rest of it from here. Like, I'm just going to, I'll take it. Thanks so much for your expertise. Thanks so much for your skill, what you've accomplished thus far. I think I'll just, I'll just take it from here. That, that probably wouldn't ever happen, Right. That, like, you can't imagine somebody that is unskilled saying, you know what, I'll, I'll just take it from here. And really, the reason, and you're like, how does this tie in? The reason I bring that up is because what we're going to see in our text this morning is that's kind of the confusion that we as believers can fall into. We can think that salvation, we've, we've embraced that fully through faith. We've put our trust in Jesus' death as payment for our sins. But then after that, the Christian life from that point forward, we're like, you know what? I'll just take it from there. I'll just take it from there. I'll, 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 you, you're in charge of the, uh, of the uh, justification through faith, but then the sanctification, the becoming more like Christ part, that, that's my responsibility. And truth be told, it's not just the audience then, but so many in our culture get confused by this. Thinking that, yes, man, it's solely by the work that Jesus did on the cross that I'm saved. I'm putting my full trust in that. But then the Christian life, 
that's just about me digging in a little bit harder and working and trying a little bit more. And it becomes a self thing rather than what Christ has done. And what we're going to see in our text this morning and what uh, uh, Paul points to is that it's all about faith. It's all about faith, all the way from the point of salvation, then also living the Christian life. So we're saved by faith, but we're also invited to live by faith, which is an awesome truth to let that sink in. So many of us create this list of, of do's and don'ts, and if we just execute this, this list of behaviors and add these things and subtract these things, man, then that's how you pursue the Christian life. Paul's saying, no, it's walking by faith. And that's the invitation that we're going to see here in our text this morning. But before we dive in to chapter 3 uh, of Galatians, I want to start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this chance to be together this morning and just your kindness to us in so many different ways. Even the kindness of the rain in the last couple of days, just much needed, God. We're so grateful for that. We pray now this morning, just as you as we unpack this text, that you would uh, reveal to us what you've invited us to, not just saved by faith, but a life of faith. I pray that you'd bring clarity to, the, to that idea today, just as we work through this text, and that we may even come out of this morning with a, a better understanding of what life in Christ looks like. God, we believe that that's possible, that you can, you can expand our understanding of you here through studying your word. And so that's what we're asking for. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you wouldn't mind joining me, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, if you wouldn't mind joining me in Galatians 3, we're going to be looking at the first 14 verses there today. And really, the, uh, what's happening is Paul's making a case before this audience. And if you've been a, a part of this series for a while, you can uh, think back to kind of the argument that he's been making that, man, it's not by works of righteousness. It's through the work of Jesus Christ uh, solely. That's what we're based on. And today he's making that case, and he kind of has three parts that we're going to break our, our uh, text into. The first thing that he points towards in our first section we're going to look at is that everything that you have experienced up until this point, has been by faith. Every single thing that you've experienced spiritually has been by faith. Then he moves on to say that, hey, it's not just starting with your experience. It's always been about faith. And then his last point in the last remaining verses is he moves towards the idea that it could only be through faith. That's the only way that it was even possible. So those are the three things that we're going to look at in Paul's case that he's making for faith. We'll start with the first one. Everything you have experienced has been by faith. Take a look at verse 1 in Galatians 3. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Ten start. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, let's pause there. This, this first idea is that everything you've experienced has been by, by faith. It's uh, interesting the, how he starts right out of the, the gates there. Oh, foolish Galatians. 
strong words. You sense the, the aggravation in, I, in, in his tone there and in, in a growing intensity. Have you noticed that in your own life as something really starts to, you, you really dwell on it and you start to think about it, the intensity starts to amplify. When you think of an a, a irritant in your own life, let, I'm going to do a little uh, test or a little example here and see if, if maybe we can get the irritant levels pushed up. How, how about just seeing this word right there? Go ahead with that in a second. Are you irritated? How about, how, how about this? When you think about gas prices, when you start to really think about it, and you think about how they've climbed over the years, and the, how the, the price of the barrel doesn't coincide with the price of the pump, do you start to get fired up a little bit? starts to, to irritate you, rub you the wrong way? How about, how about this next one? How about taxes? Anybody else get annoyed by taxes? Sorry, Larry. Uh, anybody else, like, during this season, you're like, wait a second, why am I being taxed on that? Like, that was already taxed before. How does that work when you start to think about the ins and outs and all the, the faults and taxes? Or, or how, how about this one? How about, how about this one? Is that too soon? Too soon? Too touchy of a topic to, to bring up health care? Anybody else have some irritants with, with health care and how the system is playing out now in our country? I'm not on a, on a mission to, to present anything to you. I'm just saying there's certain things. And we can take that off the screen before somebody gets too aggravated. But there's certain things that fire us up when we sit and dwell on it. In this case, Paul, as he's talking to the audience, he's thinking about, wait a second. Wait a second, you had been saved by grace. Why are you wandering back to works? The more he talks about it, the more it starts to fire him up because he was there, he seen, had seen where they had come from. He had seen where they had come from. The, that's why he starts with, oh, foolish Galatians. Foolish doesn't mean dumb. It actually means mentally lazy or careless. Mentally lazy or careless. The idea that, wait a second, you've allowed yourself to slip. The word bewitched is not talking about sorcery, but to be enticed or intrigued or misled. They had been misled. They had been, they had been enticed to, to think wrongly about something. What does it say in the text that they were enticed to think incorrectly about? Look at verse 3. It says, you, it says are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having started by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you started by, by faith and by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, and now you're going to swing back to your own efforts and things done in the flesh? That's where they had been enticed. They had been intrigued with this idea. He repeats multiple times. He says, he says wasn't, wasn't it by works? Was it by works of the law or by hearing through faith? Was it by works of the law or hearing by faith? He's, he's reiterating multiple times to say, that's not it. It wasn't by works. It wasn't possibly. It, was, it started at the very beginning by believing in what was publicly portrayed about Christ. You can read about that in Acts 13 and 14. When they were first introduced to Christ, they embraced the truth of the gospel message. He's saying, man, it started there. And why would it go? Why would you wander from that? It started with the power of the Holy Spirit working in your lives. 
What's true about every single believer is when someone does embrace the Jesus Christ and his death as payment for their sins is that the Holy Spirit comes and sets up camp in their life, which is a pretty awesome truth that, there's, that there, at no time before salvation can a person have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and no time after not have him. He's, he's there. He's, he's set up. He's there for the long haul with us, which is an awesome truth in 2 Corinthians one twenty. Two were explained that he put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's an awesome thing. It's a game changer. He moves in. He sets up camp. But Paul asked them if he thinks that the spirit came because of their works. Was it because, man, you did such a good job, Galatians. You, you had followed the law so well. You did so great. Now the Holy Spirit came. And he's saying, no, it's not at all on that. It's, so he says, having begun by the Spirit, why would perfecting be done in the flesh? Ezekiel 36, 26, you can jot that down in your notes and maybe glance at it later. Ezekiel 36, 26 explains the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God described what he was going to do through the Spirit. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen to this part. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does it say? Who, do, who does it sound like based on that text who's doing the work? Who's going to do the transforming in our lives? Is it because of our our works rolling up our sleeves and, and trying harder? It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That cause you shows that he's involved, that that God's involved, not just in the salvation piece. He's also involved with the transformation piece, right? It's not not just on our own strength by just trying harder and and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And that's not at all it. We we don't want to be the ones that are rejecting what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. We're not wanting to oppose the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is about daily submission to the Holy Spirit. Daily submission to the Holy Spirit, allowing him. We talked about it last week. You remember I brought up the, uh, the dog thing on the, the stage here, the puppet. And I said, you know, it's about releasing and letting God have uh, control in our, in our lives. And that's such the picture of it. And that's a daily submission. This morning, uh, I had been here fairly uh, late yesterday uh, evening, just kind of getting ready and getting pulling thoughts together. Sometimes, uh, this was a tougher text, actually, uh, than, than many. And, uh, and I came home, got home at about 11 last night, and Adrian this morning said, Hey, you know, uh, before you leave, would you, would, you like a, would you like a back rub? I'm like... You are living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I, I was like, what, what, what a gift. You see, you see it, it, that wasn't something that she wanted to do. You know what I mean? She, she, dugs, she digs her elbows in. I like that. I don't know if you guys have done that. The guys are like, yeah, the elbow back rub. Digs her elbows in there. And, uh, and I, was, I was thinking, you know, how cool is that? That's a moment. That's an example of being like prompted by the Spirit. It has nothing to do with something in the flesh, what I want to do or what I feel like doing, it's being prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I know that's just a silly, small example, but it was, it was a nice way to start the day today. But this idea is daily submission to the Holy Spirit is what's pleasing to God. I love this quote by John MacArthur. It says, The validity of good works in God's sight 
depends on whose power they are done in and, and for whose glory. When they are done in the power of the Holy Spirit and for His glory, they are beautiful and acceptable to Him. When they are done in the power of the flesh and for the sake of personal recognition or merit, they are rejected by Him. Legalism, listen to this, legalism is separated from true obedience by attitude. The one is a rotten smell in God's nostrils, whereas the other is a sweet savor. Isn't that a great quote? Isn't that a great description of, of what it's to be done by? It's, a, it's, it's to be done by faith. Faith is really, if you think about it, it's a trust issue. It's trusting. It's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter how I think I should live. It's trusting by God's promises, the word, the, the word that he's given to us. So it doesn't matter how I think I should live. It's the way that the Bible says I should, should live. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, walk by faith. And not by sight. Walk by faith. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what seems best in our own eyes, in our own minds. That's why faith is active in every single part of it. Not just our, our accepting Christ, but living for Christ. Saying, I trust that you know what's best. I trust that you know what's best. That's what living by faith is. And Paul is adamant about them not going back to uh, how they think they should live or the rules that they think need to be in place. That's why he says, did you suffer in vain? Did you go through this persecution for no reason? He then makes the argument, he's like, were the miracles that were done around you, was that because of the work that you did? Don't get confused thinking that it's about you and what you've created. So his initial argument is this, and it's the same for us today, is everything you've experienced spirit in your spiritual life has been by faith. Everything, think about it. If it's spiritual, it needs to be by faith. It can't be done in the flesh. That's his first point here. Second one he moves into is saying, hey, not just your experience, it's always been about faith. It's, it's been about faith from the very beginning. Look in verse 6 as he continues on this topic. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. Let's pause there and look at this, this explanation that he's giving, saying that it wasn't just, not just been your experience that's been by faith. It's been all the way out of the gates. It's been from the very beginning. It's always been about faith. Things haven't changed. Abraham was saved the same way that we are. Have you ever really stopped and thought about that? It was by faith. He wasn't, if you think about it, he wasn't a Jew, he didn't obey the law. He was, he, it was four, he was alive 430 years before the law was even given to Moses. So it couldn't have been by meeting those expectations. He hadn't been circumcised. None of the things that the Judaizers were trying to say were part of how you come to Christ, how you're made righteous. Yet in the text here, we see that he was seen as righteous before God. Why? What does it say? Because he believed God. He put his faith in God and waited for his plan for redemption to unfold. 
He put his faith in him saying, hey, I don't see the full picture right now, but I'm putting my trust in you fully. I'm, put, I, 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 I'm laying it on the line. And, and you, I love the story of Abraham when you start to unpack it, the just series of things that God puts him through, almost this gauntlet of tests to see like, do you really trust me? Are you really going to put your faith in me? Are you going to really uh, uh, cling to my promises? Genesis 12, it starts where Abraham is first told to pack up, get all of his things, and head to a promised land that he's never heard of, never seen. And what does he do? Packs up his things and goes. There's always, in the story of, of Abraham, there's always a, a radical call to, and then a, ra- a radical opportunity to believe, but then a radical means to be obedient that's followed. And then in Genesis 15, God comes back to Abraham in a vision and tells him that he's going to make a great nation from his descendants. We've talked about this before, like what a, how crazy that must have been to, to hear as he's a, he's a 99-year-old man when he heard that first. 99 years old and married to a 90-year-old woman, both barren. No kids. I can't imagine hearing that promise, that radical of a thing. He's saying, our God's saying, just trust me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a huge nation from you. I'm going to make a huge nation. You'd have been like, wait a second. That's, that's not really possible. That doesn't really work at age 99. But the, the truth is, Genesis 15, 16 says that he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He put his faith put his trust in the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Genesis 22, 18, another time, after Abraham is obedient in his willingness to sacrifice his only son, he didn't have to, thankfully, God says to him, in your, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that's what Paul points to, because you have obeyed my voice. Throughout Scripture, there's a trend of believing radical promises and radical obedience. It's not just sitting back on a, on a couch and eating potato chips and being like, yep, I believe. I got it covered. You know, like there's, there's always this call to obedience that follows. And so some people, when they're like, wait, wait but how does that work? Like faith and, and, and works, what does that look like? But faith, I love this definition actually by Bill Heatley, says faith equals belief. It's a readiness to act as if what I believed is true. A readiness to act as if what I believed is true. It's the same idea that James presented in the book of James saying, you know what, faith without works is dead. Like there, there needs to be, there's a, the marriage between those. Because those who are saved by faith must live by faith. Listen to this. They believe what God says about their life and that his word and this world and act on that belief. That's that's so true of us. If you think about it in our Christian life, it's about believing what God says is true about this world and then acting in response to that, right? Think about how how that impacts your daily life. Think about some of the different principles from God's word that we believe and then we act on it. It's more blessed to give than receive. How does that principle, we, we embrace that truth, it's more blessed to give and respect. How does that change the way you act, the way you think? When you really believe something, it changes the way you live. Suffering shapes character. Suffering shapes character. How does that truth from God's word, what's said, it, when you believe it, it changes the way you see trials and difficulty. You're like, wait a second, there's a shaping fact to this. That's not such a bad thing. 
Suffering shapes character. Stuff is fleeting. That's a principle from God's word. How does that change the way we see possessions and things? You see, the way we view things changes the way we act, what we believe. All people matter to God. All people matter to God. How does that principle from God's word then change the way you interact with people in your business, in the workplace, as you're engaging with people along the way? If you really believe that to your core, that belief translates into your actions. All people matter to God. How about this one? God is enough. God is enough. That's throughout the pages of Scripture that he's enough. He can satisfy all of your needs, all of your wants, direct every aspect of your, of your life. How does that change the way your belief in that should then change the way you act? Forgive offenders. Forgive offenders. That's a principle throughout Scripture. How does that change with, with people that have offended us when somebody has wronged us? How does that change? Do you see how the belief then impacts it should impact the way that we act. You see, the th- what is, is faith in action is how it's supposed to play out. Our connection that he points to with Abraham and what makes us children is uh, under Abraham is that shared faith. We believe we're putting our trust, we're putting all of our stock in that same exact thing that Abraham did. Trusting in God's promises. Trusting God's promises. Do you remember growing up, maybe if you grew up in the church, that, uh, that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Help me out. Had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Hey, that's fun. So, so do you remember that? You get the, get the legs going, the arms going. Pretty much it's, a, it's, it's just chaos. But look at, listen to the truth of that song. Like uh, He had many sons. All of the, I am one of them. Wait a second. I'm a, I'm a Gentile believer. How am I one of them? That's, that's what he's pointing to in the text. He's saying there, based on that, on that section of Scripture, he's saying, uh, he's saying, Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, knowing that they justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So this idea that he was saying, hey, even before, even back with Abraham, I promised that all the nations were going to be blessed. It's cool to think of the the gospel being presented even in mid-Genesis. What an awesome thing that is. And that's why I I found another verse that I thought was awesome that Jesus spoke about this in John 8, 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. This idea that, that even back then, the faith and the trust, it's always been by putting your trust in God's promises. Putting your trust in God's promises. And, and, and then realized, finally fully realized in Jesus Christ. Take a look at the, this next section. So his argument, he's, he's making a, a strong case. Starts by saying, everything you've experienced has been by faith. Then he goes into, it's, o- it's always been about faith. And this last section, verse 10, is saying this. It could only be through faith. It could only be through faith. Take a look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Wow. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not re- but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, let's stop there. The, the first thing that you notice is the word curse. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Isn't a word that anybody wants to hear about themselves, right? Like that's, that's not a very pleasant idea. The word cursed, the idea here is a divine judgment that brings the sentence of condemnation. It's a divine judgment from God that, that condemnation, that you've been condemned and a sentence is coming. This picture of curse is not anything we want to embrace. How many of you, if you asked your, your friends and coworkers if, if they thought they were cursed, how many of them do you think would say like, yes, I definitely am cursed? No, that's not something that's embraced in our, our culture. It's something that's, that's shunned and pushed out back against. But that's the, 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 the reason why it's not something they want to cling is because that the, the law has to play in the gospel message, has to play its appropriate rule. Remember last week I talked about it as like an MRI machine, that it has to, that the, the idea of the law is to alert you to the, to the disease, to alert you to the fact that you're sick, you're really, really sick. They don't realize the world around us, apart from Christ, they don't realize they're living lives before a holy God that hates sin and they're just covered in it. They're living lives before a holy God that hates sin, and they're just covered in it. When I was in college, we had uh, some fun rainy days where we decided there was a field across the street from where the college was at, and we decided to play mud football. I don't know if any guys in here have ever done that, where you just get done, and literally by the end of the time that you're, you're playing, I mean, you're just from head to toes just covered. I mean, you're, you're cleaning mud out of your ears uh, for months to come. Like, I mean, it's just, just nasty, but so much fun in the getting muddy part. But, uh, but I was thinking about that, that picture, to picture kind of the reality of our condition apart from Christ, that we're just... We're just covered in sin. We're just, we don't even realize it, but we're just drenched in it, soaked in it, just covered in sin apart from Christ. And that's what the world around us doesn't realize. That it says, notice that it says, it doesn't say cursed are the atheists, but it says cursed are those depending, because Romans 1 describes uh, their issue, but uh, it says, cursed are those depending on the law to save them. Cursed are those depending on the law to save them. Anybody that's putting their hope and meeting the law is just like, man, you're set for failure. What does it say? Say, say in the text there, it says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things in the law. By every single thing in the law. Does that seem very attainable? How's, how's that working out for us? Like, how are we doing with meaning every single... How about, how about just three of the Ten Commandments? How, how about that? Like, how are we doing on that idea? Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Jesus himself reinforced this reality in Matthew 5.48. He says, You are to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. 
How are we doing on that perfection route? How are we doing on that? Or, or James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. How are we doing on that perfection thing? It's impossible. We're guilty of both sins of omission and commission. The idea of doing the things that you shouldn't do and then not doing the things you should do. And then Jesus even amplifies this a couple more notches and he says, oh yeah, and I'm not just going based on things that are outward. I'm also going to assess the heart too. So if you've ever looked at a, a woman lustfully, yeah, you're guilty of adultery too. He's like, man, what in the world? I was, I was listening to a, a speaker this week, and he was talking about, imagine, imagine if you had been employed at a new company, and the first day they hand you this massive handbook of all these rules and regulations and said to you, you know what, here's, here's an outline of the expectations of you, and uh, as soon as you break any one of the rules, you're fired, how long would you stay at that job? And oh, and one more thing, we've got a, a TV monitor uh, that's going to watch every single thing that you do, every uh, moment that you're in work. Some of you feel like that's your job. Uh, uh, we're going to watch every single thing, and we've got these, this new system that's going to assess your attitude and motives too. How long do you think you'd stay employed at that job? Like you'd be fired in the first five minutes. Like the same is true here in, in our text is saying those of us that have tried to, to meet the law, we're born to fail. It's impossible. The more you study the law, the more you realize the gap. We needed rescue. There had to be a savior. That's the only way it could work. We couldn't do it on our own. It was impossible. Set up to fail. I was talking to my son Chase after he had he had been disobedient for something. It was a while back now, and I was asking him. I was just like, Chase, what? I mean, it was blatant, like opposite of what we had said. I don't know if parents ever deal with that same thing with their kids, but it was the exact opposite. And we asked him, like, I said, Chase, what made you do that? He's like, I don't know why I do that stuff. I don't know why I do that stuff. I don't know why I do bad things. I was like, I know why. Because we're, we're, we're flawed to the core, to the very core, the very essence of who we are apart from Christ, we're flawed. And so that's why when he's pointing to this section here, he's saying, man, it, it's the only way it was possible. The, the only system that could have worked was a faith-based system. Because it obviously wasn't going to be based on my actions. It obviously wasn't going to be based on my efforts at obeying the law. It couldn't have worked. It had to be done outside of me. It had to be done outside of me. But he paints this picture of gloom of our situation, and I love how he, he then doesn't leave them left in that situation, and that's the same for us with the gospel message. He points the, the, out the situation. He says, but like a, a nice rain after a long drought, he points to the hope that we have. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the good news of the, the gospel message. Jesus is the curse absorber, if you will. He was the deflector of curses. He, he was the one. He said, I will take that on. That's the good news of the gospel. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law 
for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's no longer a means to be seen righteous before God. For anyone who believes puts their trust in God. It's no longer, it's no longer the means to be justified or reconciled to God. It says, he quotes in verse 13, Paul quotes Deuteronomy. He says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Hanging was the public evidence that someone was cursed. Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived, he met all of the expectations of the law. And then he represented us as the curse on that tree. What an awesome truth. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Love this. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. This idea that it started with him and it ends with him. He started the walk across the tightrope that we couldn't do. And when we, when we finally embraced him through faith and for salvation, he says, you know what? I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to take it the rest of the way for you. That's why it says the righteous shall live by faith. None of it is based on our own efforts. It's all about faith. It's all clinging to his promises. It's saying, I trust you more than I trust me. That's what we're saying to God by faith. As we, as we approach, as we get up in the morning, all right, God, I trust what you say is best for my day-to-day. I trust what you say is the best way to respond in this situation. I'm not going back to any of the self-reliance stuff. That's the invitation that he's calling us to. It's a life of trust. It's a life of belief in what God says, not what I might think for, to, for myself. That's the invitation that he's calling this, this, uh, this audience to. He's saying, hey, man, don't just trust him for your salvation, Trust him in everything, moment by moment, fully putting my faith in his promises. That's his prayer for this, uh, this audience. And that's our, my prayer for us as a church. My, for my prayer for myself individually is that we would put our faith not just in him for salvation, but our faith in him on a moment by moment basis, saying, I trust that you know what's best. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this, this walk that he takes us on, that he takes us through this, this, uh, this path of saying, everything that you've done up until this point is by faith. Every single aspect of what you've received spiritually is because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And that wasn't something that was new. That was something all the way back to the days of Abraham, one of the people that they idolized. All, it all started with faith, trusting in your promises. So it only makes sense that we continue in that, trusting in your promises, not clinging to anything that we've done or can do, that we submit. That's what's pleasing to you is when we actually submit and allow your spirit to work through us, to invade our lives, God. I pray for that for for myself. I pray for that as a church. We let go of this list of things that we're trying to do just by working a little bit harder but that we'd act out in faith of what we actually believe. We can only do this in your power. That's his whole point, only in your power. That's why we pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. That's the invitation to fully dive in, to live by faith, not by sight. What does that look like in our week ahead? I don't know, but I... 
I think if you just started the day, each day just saying, God, how do you want me to respond? I, I want to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. An invitation for Him to reign in your day, in your moments, in every activity that you're a part of. That's what I'm excited for us as a church. That invitation is a beautiful one. If there's something that we can be praying for you about, just let us know here right after the service. We have a couple leaders here available to pray. Also, at the beginning of every single month, we try to give back to meet some of the needs in our community. So we have our Deacons Fund. If you want to contribute towards that as you're leaving, you're welcome to do that as well. Praise God for his word. Praise God for this invitation. Have a fantastic day.